0: Welcome to The Kicker, the weekly podcast from Columbus Business First, the business news authority in Ohio's capital region. I'm Dominic Kappa, editor-in-chief of Business First, and I'm joined by a couple of our program's regulars, managing editor Doug Buchanan and reporter Tom Knox. Something a little bit different this week. Joining us in the newsroom is Zach Klein, president of Columbus City Council. He's being generous with his time to talk with us about city affairs and some initiatives that have meaning for businesses in the city. Mr. Klein, welcome. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to let Tom go at it, and we'll just uh, we'll get the conversation rolling. Start, Start. easy.
1: Yes. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, last month the city demolished its 900th house. I was wondering what's next with that program and, and how you uh, hope to get development involved over there.
2: Well, I was instrumental in working with President Ginther and City Attorney Rick Pfeiffer in creating uh, the VAP program. Uh, When I first got on council, it dawned on me that as long as vacant and abandoned parcels are in our land bank, they're technically city property. Uh, One of the issues we had prior to the Ohio Attorney General and all of the master Attorney General settlement with the banks that cleared the way for additional funds for demolition, one of the issues that we had was how do we pay for the demolition out of the general uh, revenue budget. Uh, The reality is, those those parcels, uh, because they're in the capital or in the land bank, they're actually capital expenditures of ours that allows us to use the capital budget uh, to, to demolish uh, a lot of those vacant abandoned houses. So, because of the identification of it being technically a city property in our land bank, it allows us to all use another pot of money, which isn't as stressed. Our capital budget is pretty robust, robust because of the special income tax set aside, as you guys are aware right. of, mm-hmm. uh, that helps support our AAA bond rating. We have a pretty robust capital budget, whereas on the other hand, our general revenue fund budget is a little bit tighter. Uh, because of the very mediocre uh, income tax growth in the city. Our capital budget allowed us to use those resources to tear down vacant abandoned houses. And of course the mayor mayor at the time, Mayor Coleman, uh, as initiative to, to tear down 900 I was fully supportive of because I wouldn't want to live next to a vacant abandoned house and I don't think anyone else sh- should want to either. Um, so I think 900 is great and if we need to do 900 more, we need to do 900 more until we clear and rid um, our city of the scourge of pl- blighted houses and make sure that every neighborhood is safe and strong. And if that's what it takes, then I'm fully supportive of another 900, another thousand another 200 whatever it takes
0: is it is, is it more of a neighborhood initiative than a business initiative I mean obviously you've got vacant lots you would hope that something gets developed there, you know, sort of where are the priorities for that? It I sounds think, like it's neighborhood. Uh,
2: it, I think it's actually both. You know, if you look at some of the historic economic corridors in central Ohio and Columbus, Livingston Avenue and Main Street, they yeah. have their share of commercial buildings that need to be torn down. That for, is an economic initiative. You start getting into the, the the more breadth of the neighborhood where it's a lot of residential, then it becomes more of a neighborhood issue. So I don't think it's limited to one or the other. Certainly the focus has been on neighborhood uh, demolition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that should continue, but we we shouldn't just keep our take our eye off commercial property if it's especially key to an economic puzzle. How, how the city can cluster and then you know do an RFP to be able to to redevelop the property um, so that it's a successful economic development engine for that particular neighborhood.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say. So what are, what are the next steps? So as you clear land, what become the steps then to get that land rebuilt? Or yeah, reused? and that's
2: that's a tricky question uh, because. When it comes to the neighborhoods, residential units, uh, you kind of weigh, weigh a couple of different factors. You, you have to say, you know, do I want to live next to a vacant abandoned house? Uh, do I appreciate perhaps if the house is a little bit older, the historical architecture, despite the fact that it's been vacant and abandoned for maybe 20, 30, 40 years? Uh, and then would I rather live next to a vacant parcel versus in a vacant building or an abandoned, you know? Mm-hmm. So all those factors come into play. So as it relates to uh, the neighborhoods, uh, I think that we should go full bore and continue to tear down houses so that no one has to live next to a vacant abandoned house so our children don't play in a vacant and abandoned house because they end up becoming not only a safety hazard for our children, but also a tax on our public safety resource that always has to deal with uh, criminal elements going in and out as it relates to the commercial corridor uh, I think it's important and this is I think notably so on the 161 corridor as as it relates to um, the efforts that we've done to uh, seize and shut down uh, hotels and motels that have been Mm -hmm. operating as criminal fronts can the city cluster those properties so that we have a larger landmass that then we could put out a request for proposals to turn that land into productive use it would be uh, inadequate for the city to simply shut down a hotel or tear down a business if we don't have at least a long-term strategy of what we're gonna do with the land so that it can be back in productive use. So I think on the commercial side, it's even more important um, that we try to develop that strategy. We have something in place that, granted it's not going to be something that happens overnight, but we have a game plan in place to be able to uh, turn that land back into productive use. And I know it's something that Director Shoney has been uh, particularly involved in as it relates uh, just because I referenced the 161 corridor that the Northland area uh, has been uh, driving very hard as well.
0: Right,
1: okay. You've said uh, small businesses deserve a a fair shake. Um, I'm wondering what exactly you mean by that and what the city's role is in helping small businesses get off the ground and be on an even. Even playing field.
2: Well, I'm a firm believer that uh, small business is the economic engine to our, our uh, economy, not just in the city of Columbus or the state of Ohio, but nationally. So, I think uh, the city of Columbus recently in the development of the small business roundtable uh, solicited a lot of input from from trade groups from that represent small business, from the chamber of commerce, from small business owners themselves. Of what is the city doing uh, to help promote small business growth within the city limits? Uh, I want to put our money where our mouth is instead of just talking the talk. Uh, so what we've come up with um, is a record $5-plus uh, plus million dollar investment in uh, loans and grants for small businesses that's run through the Finance Fund and the and ECDI. Uh, we created the Small Business Concierge, uh, which is an individual that's a direct pipeline. Ryan Schick is uh, the person who is our small business concierge for the city. That was created out of the Small Business Roundtable, uh, a direct pipeline for small businesses to, to call to kind of cut through the quote-unquote red tape that is associated with local government You know, our our role as a city, um, whether it's small business growth or just business growth in general, is how can we create a, a competitive environment that has the just as much regulation as necessary to keep the public safe? but not too far that we're going to hinder the amount of business that's going to operate freely in the city of Columbus. And that's a priority for me uh, that I take when I do any sort of regulatory scheme for the city. I want to look at what goals are we trying to solve, and let's go up to the line, but let's not cross the line of the amount of regulations that's necessary, because I think we need to have a be a, a business-friendly city, and that's a priority of mine. Is,
3: the, is I'm sorry, so is, is the business concierge, is that, uh, is that post to help? Uh, small businesses deal with the city, or is it more of like a startup advisor? Is there? And is is, is there a, a role for the city in that second part, of, you know, startups and helping? So the it's kids?
2: its primary role is to call as a one stop shop to help small businesses, whether it's the permitting process, the zoning process, an right. issue with public dining if you're a restaurant, to call the per, right person within public service. Okay. Um, so it, it, it's primarily that role, but I, I know that Ryan has taken uh, Mr. Schick has mm-hmm. taken the aggressive approach of meeting with the entrepreneurial community because I think that's where it goes into the regu- regulatory side uh, of how we can create the best environment uh, for the entrepreneurial entrepreneur to uh, to be able to spread his or her wings to, to start a business here in the city of Columbus because that's where the economic growth is going to generally come out of. It's not going to be out of the 10,000-person mega move from right. one state to another. Uh, it's going to be out of the organic growth of the business community. So if somebody was
3: thinking they had an idea and they just didn't even know where to turn, that could be a good first step. And Absolutely. And they can pass them on to others.
2: Because one, one of the, I'm glad you brought this up because one of the most frustrating things for me being on city council or just being involved in city government is the fact that you know, we, we've set aside five uh, plus million dollars for loan and grants, but people don't know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's Ryan's job. It's the department of development's job. It's my job as a member of city council to tell the story of what we're doing because it doesn't do any good to have a government program that the city is offering if no one's taking advantage of it because they don't know about it. Right. Uh, so I think the small business concierge plays a role that if you're an entrepreneur and you want to get hooked up with this, like maybe point him in the direction of the finance fund, point him or her in the direction of ECDI so that that, that uh, small business idea can be vetted. And if it's eligible for funding, we can help it get off the ground.
0: Do you get a chance to get around to other cities?
2: So, interestingly enough, I do, but not necessarily on my official side. I referee Division I women's college right, basketball, so I travel a lot to a lot of different cities, but I typically don't meet with mayors or other city council members okay. when I'm there, mainly because the okay. games are on the weekends or at night. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay.
1: You mentioned uh, cutting red tape. That's a common thing cities and states talk about. Uh, how do you actually quantify if you're actually doing
2: that? I think it's listening listening with the appropriate businesses that are doing and operating within the city. Uh, one thing that I've charged the chamber of commerce with in particular, uh, is when they're talking to their members and there's something that is perpetually an issue within the city of Columbus, we should know about it. Uh, if they just sit on it and complain, that's not going to do us any good to change policy. Uh, I don't know because I don't operate in that sphere of what red tape is overburdensome or excessive without listening directly from the business owner. Uh, the business owner needs to uh, inform us at City Hall what it is so we can uh, pull together the appropriate uh, people to determine whether whatever hurdle we have created is appropriate or not. And if it's not appropriate, if it's too aggressive, if it's too overburden, if it's overburdensome, uh, then we should do what we can to call back that regulation. Uh, if it is necessary, at least we've had the discussion of why it's in place.
1: Is there a, a common complaint among businesses uh, about starting a new business or growing?
2: I haven't heard any. Um, you know, one of the things that the small business roundtable uh, vented to us was kind of this one-stop shop which was the result of the of the small business concierge Mm -hmm. like who do you call in a city that a city government the size of columbus if you have a question about uh something so the small business concierge being the point of of contact was a like i said it was a creation out of the the dialogue that took place at the small business roundtable as a a go-to person to help cut through the red tape and at least point the person in the right direction
0: you pushed for increased recruitment in minorities to police jobs. It was a big part of your neighborhood um, uh, improvement and neighborhood protection efforts. I, I, I'm, we're curious how the program has gone and sort of what steps are being taken now and, and where do we stand in that program to better balance the look and and, and the uh, the diversity of the police force.
2: So I'm a firm believer that whether it's our public safety forces, our teachers, our nurses, city government itself it needs to look like the community we live in. Uh, and frankly, I think our efforts are decent. We need to do a lot better. Uh, my particular idea and focus has to do with this pipeline of Columbus City Schools and Columbus State and being able to recognize the uh, wide, expansive, diverse talent that we have within our school system. How can we get them from, the, from Columbus Public or even a neighboring Columbus because of the win-win districts? Uh, in a partnership with Columbus State into our academies, uh, so that it's an economic development engine uh, because, it's, because the talents here, we're sitting on a treasure trove of talent. Uh, we're utilizing a resource like Columbus State so that they could get an associate's degree and then they can come directly into our uh, police and fire academies it's a little bit easier with fire because you can start fire at 18. Uh, State law, in order to have a gun, means you can't start the police academy to 21. So you have a three-year gap from high school um, to the police academy. So it's a little bit more challenging on the police side. Um, So I've had some initial conversations with Dr. Harrison at Columbus State, and it's a priority, I think, for me and Mayor Ginther, and now that Mitchell Brown, the former safety director, has joined Mm -hmm. council, uh, is how we collaborate with the private sector. uh, In this instance, Columbus the state specifically, Columbus Public Schools, uh, to create a pipeline so that talent is identified early. Uh, police officers and firefighters get into the school to identify with with uh, guidance counselor and principals the right appropriate people that may be interested in these careers. These are great paying jobs. Mm-hmm. They provide for the family. They provide for families. They protect our neighborhoods. And how can we create a system where? We can have classes that are local kids uh, that come from different walks of life and have the opportunity to, to patrol our streets and save our lives as men and women of police and fire.
0: If you know there, there is there is not a day that goes by where we're not reporting something about Columbus as a very is a, a rising city, city that's very popular, and we've seen you know the population increase here dramatically over the past couple of years. You know, from your perspective. Um, what are the chief issues that Columbus is going to face as it keeps growing, as it keeps moving from mid-sized city to uh, mid, sort of the upper tier of those middle-sized cities? Hmm.
2: I think transportation is going to be a huge piece of our growth puzzle. Uh, I know historically before my time on council, uh, there was talk about mass transit, light rail, um, I personally believe that we are now ready to renew that conversation again. Uh, It's an expensive proposition, very expensive, and we can't do it without state and federal help. Uh, But I think what we should be doing, uh, and what I've talked about on the campaign trail uh, before I was reelected this past November, is it's time to engage in a community dialogue of what we want. Uh, I will say that this is completely anecdotal, but on my social media page, 90% 90% of the comments about how we, is how we need light rail. Um, again, no scientific evidence, but that right. seems to be what people are always talking about. Is that the answer? What is the cost for that? What would a system look like after we approached state and federal funding and we're able to knock that off the total price tag, how much are we willing to put, put out of our pocket to make that happen? Uh, those are all conversations that I think we're ready to have before we kind of make the commitment, mm. uh, but I think we're ready to have those conversations as a community. Uh, additional to that, I think we have a dearth of affordable housing options in the city of Columbus. Uh, I'm a firm believer that in all the investments that we could make uh, in the social service side, The closest thing to a silver bullet uh, is probably affordable housing. It strengthens neighborhoods, it gives stability to children instead of jumping from school uh, to school in one calendar year. I think it creates uh, a safer neighborhood to live in. Uh, It brings stability to the family unit. Uh, And I think that if we make that investment, also increases health outcomes, believe it or not, as well. But if we make one investment as a society in in Central Ohio is that we need more affordable housing unit options so that's sliding scale rent assistance, permanent supportive housing, uh, because the numbers on the community shelter board side are going up, but there's no place for folks to go. Uh, and that with the great success that we, that we have within the city uh, means that we have the influx of folks that are living here and paying market rate, but we're short, according to the latest study I've seen, 54,000 units uh, in central Ohio, not just unique to Columbus, but in central Ohio. So what's the aggressive decade plan at 5,400 units a year over 10 years to address that?
0: Do you do you foresee any or give us a sense for the relationship between the city and the um, uh, the, the surrounding cities over the poaching of companies uh, and the use of tax incentives to do that? You know that had been an issue that uh, that the mayor, Mayor Coleman, raised a number of years ago, and it was sort of met with 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 deafness. Um, I'm yeah. just kind of curious what the state of that is these days. So.
2: I, I think it's not economic development if you're moving uh, jobs from one zip code within central Ohio to another zip code. That's not job creation, that's mm-hmm. just job movement. Uh, and we shouldn't be incentivizing that because it's not good for the healthy uh, overall economy of central Ohio. What well, we should be incentivizing are new jobs. Um, so if you're moving 10 jobs from point A to point B but creating five, let's incentivize the five, not incentivize the 10. Um, we need everyone to buy in. You know tax incentives and abatements are important tools in our economic toolbox in order to compete, uh, not just with other cities across the United States, but also within the, our suburban friends, you know, we're very aggressive uh, in competing with Dublin and competing with Westerville and new Albany. Uh, I, I would like to say, I, I, we should live in a world where there's no incentives and that everyone would compete on the same playing field of which the great amenities of a community, but that's not, you know, that's a fantasy world. So as long as, um, as long as we live in a world where we need to compete, we should aggressively do so. Uh, in the same breath, we should continue to work with our municipal friends and our suburban friends to ensure that we're not poaching each other's jobs and we're, and we're using our economic development packages wisely uh, because they are a tool for the taxpayer uh, in order to benefit our our city. Um, so, if it's too aggressive, then our general fund revenue side hurts, and so we can't invest in police and fire. We can't invest in rec centers. But that's not unique to Columbus. It also hurts Dublin. It also hurts New Albany. Um, so, it's important that we continue those dialogues to make sure that everyone has buy-in, uh, so that we're, com- we're competitive as a central Ohio community and not just one-off competitiveness amongst intra-fighting in the suburbs.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd like to go back to the, the light rail because I find that fascinating. Um, how do you move past the albatross of money um, and who's going to pay for it and how much it's going to cost? Because it does seem like it has some momentum, but nobody really wants to pay for something that big.
2: Well, that's exactly why I think we ne- need to have the community conversation. I think we need to see what the price tag like. That we need to design it out, see what the price tag is, and then ask the community if they're ready to pay for it. Because a lot of folks, I think, are very aggressive, as you've noted. Like, we need it. We need it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Perhaps we do need it, but are you willing to pay for it? And that's not a question that I need to solely answer as council president or that Mayor Ginther needs to answer as the mayor. That's a question that we need to answer as a community.
3: But we still need to actually spend some money to get the design. I mean, is there any, amongst your fellow council members, is there any support that you're saying to at least take that step and, you know, I mean once you cuz once you take one step I mean that's going to get everybody's attention uh, you know even before the design study comes back
2: Yeah and, and I think that, again it goes back to the community dialogue and, and one thing that I consistently heard from my colleagues on the campaign trail when asked about light rail and transportation yeah. generally within the city of Columbus yeah. uh, is that folks believe we're ready to talk about it. Um, And and I'm not sure what that timeline is, whether it's tomorrow or within the next year or two, but I think people are primed well on the government side as well as on the neighborhood side to sit down and figure out what we want, not just for Columbus in 2016, but when that projection of a half million people come to Columbus right. over the next 20 or 30 years, uh, how are we gonna move them from point A to point B? Because we do a great job uh, on the drivability side, which probably hurts us on the trainability side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do a, a decent job to a good job on the walkability side. There's still some neighborhoods that are lacking with the walkability and access. Right. We do a pretty good job on the bikeability side. Really great from north to south. We're getting better from east to west. Uh, but on the trainability, mass transit side, we're clearly lacking. We don't have those options here. Um, So, it's time for us as a community to sit down and talk about what that means for the city, how much that costs as a city, and after state and federal folks hopefully pitch in, uh, which I don't think it exists if they don't pitch in, what the final price tag is, and then we need to ask everyone in the community, are you ready to open your pocket to make this happen for the city of Columbus, or is it more just lip service and something that's more aspirational?
0: So, in in your mind, does the community consist of Franklin County and and Columbus, or does it include the, the, the surrounding counties?
2: It's an interesting question. I think we have to start small and build big.
0: Okay.
1: So you want to get buy-in locally and then expand? I'm a big
2: buy-in person. I I, I think um, the secret sauce for the city of Columbus has always been our collaborative spirit, our collaborative spirit with our friends in the private sector, our neighborhood friends, friends in labor. Uh, And I don't understand why we wouldn't continue that collaborative approach um, on a major, major Issue uh, like light rail without getting the buy-in from the county from local suburbs because at the end of the day the growth is Central Ohio growth. It's not just City of Columbus proper growth.
3: Let me uh, extend that answer you just gave. I mean, more generally, should we expect to see any differences in the in the approach taken by the Coleman administration now that we've got a new mayor and new council uh, as regards to the economy?
2: Uh, I can only speak for myself, can't speak for Mayor Ginther, uh, but I think that Mayor Coleman has left um, a great legacy and has written a terrific first 16 chapters of a book, uh, mm-hmm. and it's up for us to continue the book uh, and to continue the momentum uh, that the city of Columbus has with the partnerships we have with the private sector in order to, to order to uh, continue that economic momentum in the city of Columbus. So as far as I'm concerned, concerned, I think we have a special thing going in the city of Columbus, and if it's not broke, we shouldn't fix it doesn't mean we shouldn't improve areas that need to be improved, but the overall atmosphere of partnership and collaboration shouldn't be changed. I tell you, when I, when I do travel the state and meet with friends, um, you mentioned earlier, like, do I ever travel different cities? Mm -hmm. Uh, when I do talk to colleagues, mainly through political dialogue, frankly, but, um, I hear the problems they have in their community, and is, you know, perhaps it's police community relations, or perhaps an issue with their chamber of commerce. And my always question is, well, why don't you call the head of the FOP or call the head of the chamber, and they'll inevitably say, "You actually talk to those people?" And it's like, of course I do. Um, yeah, that's how we get things done here. Right. We can't do things in a silo and expect to be successful as a city. Uh, we need the help of the private sector. We need help of neighborhood leaders, of the faith community, of labor leaders, in order to all of us joining hands move our community forward. Uh, I will continue that Uh, that is a priority of mine and that's the best collaborative partnership we can do for the city of Columbus in central Ohio
0: in in your mind where's the next development frontier for the city is it Franklinton is it is it the hilltop is it 161 where is the let's start first where is the most pressing need right now to sort of improve uh, either areas or neighborhoods to promote business development, job growth? Um so I don't like these questions because okay. I feel like you always pit one neighborhood against another,
2: um, so, but I will generally say that when you look at the rebounding growth uh, in some of our more economically disadvantaged neighborhoods, like like Wineland Park, uh, the Near East Side, uh, the South Side around Children's Hospital, um, One thing that's in common uh, with all of those turnarounds is the identification of a corporate champion. There is some sort of private entity, whether or private family, uh, that is opening their pocketbook and and supplementing and amplifying the city's investment. So, Linden and Hilltop uh, being other neighborhoods that uh, are economically disadvantaged, who are their corporate champion? Who's going to partner with the city Uh, to help turn around those neighborhoods. Those are questions that me, my colleagues, and Mayor Ginther have to answer in order to see exponential growth uh, in those neighborhoods in particular. The exponential growth that we've seen in Wineland Park, that we've seen in the packed area on the Near East Side, that we've seen in the area surrounding uh, Children's Hospital and Parsons Avenue, that's because the city had help uh, from the private sector. We can't do it alone to make exponential change. The city's alone investment will simply just be gradual change. Uh, And in order to really turn around the neighborhood, we need to figure out who those private champions are to really make a difference in those neighborhoods. And Hilltop and Linden in particular uh, are two neighborhoods that are uh, calling out for help, that need help, and we should turn our attention to them.
0: Definitely answered.
1: (laughs) How do you you decide, I guess, you, you answered they don't really like these kind of questions because it's hard to pick sort of neighborhoods. Uh, I'm a West Side guy. Um, It seems like since my youth, people have talked about making that area better. The casino's not really doing it yet, or maybe never will. How do you sort of identify which neighborhoods to address first? Because we're talking about how Clums has a lot of growth, and it's really nice, but there are still these pockets around the the downtown area that just aren't doing well.
2: I think you have to triage it um, with community input and identify with community leaders where the greatest need are, look at data. I, I, it's not, <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with government uh, using data to make decisions instead of just gut or anecdotal evidence. And I think the data, when you look at infant mortality rates, the data when you look at unemployment rates, the data when you look at vacant and abandoned housing rates, uh, A lot of indicators go to the hilltop. A lot of the indicators uh, go to the Linden area. Uh, And using that data, I think you can identify the pockets uh, that need help. There are other pockets. I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to think that those are the only two pockets that Zach Klein thinks um, are hurting, uh, but those are huge swaths of geographic land, uh, the hilltop and Linden, uh, that need help. And, and I've just been so impressed and moved by the public private partnership that has exponentially changed Wineland park, uh, the South side around children's hospital and Parsons Avenue, as well as the packed area, uh, that I know we can try to do something in the Linden and Hilltop area. We just need, we just need the private sector help because the city's resources are so finite, uh, to be able to make that exponential change
1: could be more difficult for those areas, right? Because Wineland Park has Ohio State. Um, Southside has the hospital. I mean, is that kind of a big difference between those areas? There's no major it's a more
2: it's a more of a natural identification of who that champion is for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and you know, who is the natural identification for Linden uh, and the Hilltop. It it doesn't have to be something that's geographically located. It could be just a business that wants to make a difference in the community. So we shouldn't just simply say, well, look, if you're not in the Hilltop, you can't help the Hilltop. You know, I think that's a short sighted view. Uh, If you're willing to help, I'm willing to listen.
0: There you go. That's it for this week's podcast. Our thanks to City Council President Zach Klein and, of course, the thoughts and questions of Doug and Tom. If you want to read more about everything business in Central Ohio, look us up online. We've got it for you. You'll find our reports when the news breaks at columbusbusinessfirst.com. Until next week, goodbye.